Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. This is episode number 39, Architectural Photography with Jeremiah Derringer. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. All right, guys, it's been a while. I don't think I've done a podcast since around May or so. Things have been really busy. Um, but today I am welcoming my new friend, Jeremiah Derringer. Jeremiah, thanks for joining me today. Sure. Um, Jeremiah and I met a few weeks ago. I was doing a, a shoot for a, a client of mine and my wife joined me and she was shooting some photos for fun. And uh, he was out at a uh, splash pad <laughs> at this um, community that I was doing a shoot for. And he came up and introduced himself, told me he did some video and photography stuff and that he's been doing it for quite a while. And we've stayed in touch since then. And turns out that uh, he's done quite a bit of work. So uh, I decided to bring him in today to, on the podcast to talk a lot about um, something that he's doing a lot right now, which is architectural photography. But before we get into that, Jeremiah, tell us a little bit about you and kind of what your background is, how you got started and what it is you do today. Sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I've had a pretty long career in, uh, several different areas. Uh, I started out in graphic design, um, as a 19 year old, um, didn't go to college. I apprenticed under a, another graphic designer and, uh, within just a few years, I was hired to be a print production artist for a big ad agency that was handling banks and car dealerships and all that kind of stuff. So I think at about age 21, I was flying to Dallas and doing press checks and all that kind of stuff and doing graphics still. And then I got another job, uh, bounced from that one to 3M Company, where I spent 15 years, um, started in graphics again, graphic design. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. 3M is in like Velcro? 3M is in Velcro, yeah. Okay. Post-it notes, Velcro. Um, so they have, uh, they have 40 divisions, but eight of them are in Austin, and the ones in Austin are tech and electronic type stuff, and okay. not, the, not the medical stuff you're familiar with or VHS tapes, things like that. All that's in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. So I got hired by them as a print production artist, um, and shortly thereafter, I began to edit video, um, and that was just out of necessity. I also did some flash work and some coding, uh, JavaScript, stuff like that. So I got asked to do a little bit of video editing, and um, after editing for a few years, I got annoyed with the footage I was getting from the cameraman, and the cameraman was just a, um, he was actually, he had an RTF degree from UT, but he was actually an illustrator, and he preferred to do illustration, so I asked if I could get behind the camera, and then that was it. From about 2004 to now, I've been doing video um, and photography, is a was a hobby i started out like uh, about age 13 my dad gave me a camera so it was a, definitely a hobby did a little bit of it in school and then um after doing video for years and years and years for 3m i left them to pursue freelance and they continued to have me shoot for them um, and then i bought a house um, in fredericksburg and the realtor asked me uh, he knew i had a background in video and he said can you also photograph homes and i was like uh, sure. <laughs> so I'd never done it before. And I said, why not and use my, you know, DSLR video, video camera to, to take shots for him. And he loved them. And I did a video for him as well, the home. And then, um, it blew up. It just turned into this huge thing. I got hired by a real estate company in Fredericksburg, Texas to be their, you know, their only photographer and videographer. Um, they actually ran an ad saying that they were looking for a photographer 
uh, position and then they were also hiring for a video position and I went and sat down with the owner and said, I'll take both. So she, she took me up on it and, uh, she, I said, well, I mean, she said, can you do both? Like, you know, are you sure you can do both? And I said, well, how much workload do you have? And she said, I have no idea. So, um, it turned out, so I shot all of their real estate. I shot all of their B and B's of which they managed 200 B and B's in Fredericksburg. Um, yeah, just a few. And then I did all their videos, which was, you know, uh, market recaps, video walkthroughs of homes. Um, we did a, a TV show or a YouTube show called, um, this is Fredericksburg, which was, um, an episodic, uh, thing that, uh, kind of, we filmed at different businesses around town and, um, different events like fairs and Oktoberfest and stuff like that. So, but the photography took off, um, shooting for them, they, they became the, the company became pretty successful due partly to photography and social media presence. Um, so when I started working for them, they were making 30 million a year and about eight, nine months into my time there, they were making 80 million. Man, that's so awesome. it was an increase that, that, um, you know, that I felt like I'd had a part in, in helping to create, but, um, I also had a desire to do other things. And so I left them also for freelance. Um, you notice a theme that you, as a, when you're in advertising, imagery, graphics, video, that kind of stuff, you oftentimes find yourself going back and forth between the salaried job and the freelance. <laughs> and, yeah. um, when you're freelancing, sometimes you get tired of chasing work. And so a desk job sounds nice, a steady paycheck. And then when you're in the steady paycheck, sometimes it sounds nice to have the freedom again. So I've gone back and forth a few times in my life. So I went freelance, left that real estate company and get started getting hired by a lot of builders, um, builders and designers. And, and I think that was due to the fact that <clears throat> I think that my, my real estate stuff was looking different than other real estate photographers and builders are sort of seeing um, like maybe just a, a different, a, a look that they were interested in, I guess, uh, it happened organically. I never chased down any builders, but I started getting a lot of them coming to me and they were all over the hill country, not just in Fredericksburg. And so, um, I started shooting for people in New Braunfels and Wimberley and Canyon Lake. And, and are you shooting there. mainly the houses or? Yes. So okay. yeah, shooting it kind of known for interiors and twilights. <laughs> um, I guess that's kind of my, um, I guess what causes people to hire me is the, the interior shots and, and my twilights. I mean, I shoot aerials, I shoot exteriors, I shoot ranches, um, a little bit of everything, but typically when a builder hires me, it's, you know, um, you know, custom homes, um, million and up, uh, or eight, I'd say 800 and up, you know, um, and it's, it's depends on the builder as to whether I shoot the whole house or sometimes I just shoot certain rooms to, you know, pad their portfolio. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so let's talk about this. So what is the difference between like, before we get into like what exactly architectural photography is, what is the difference really in your mind between shooting like uh, a custom built home and like a standard residential home, something that's like in the $250,000 range? Well, honestly, the difference really depends on the builder. And what I've noticed is that when I shoot for people, I, I have shot for a couple of builders that are kind of, they're not necessarily building spec homes, but they just, maybe they have like six different plans and they just build those and there's slight customization to it. They'll let the customer, you know, customize a few things and then that's it versus the guys who build truly custom homes. And so there's not a difference in shooting them and except for the fact that the ones who build the closer to spec homes tend to ask you to shoot it the moment they finish it. So it's done, there's like no grass in the yard and there's dirt in the house and there's no furniture and they just want you to shoot it so that they can 
show a finished project and move on. And sometimes they want that because they're just going to say, here's one of our floor plans and it's empty, you know, and that's it. Custom home builders wait until their, their clients have been living in the home for six months. They've had an interior designer come through. They've had a landscape professional come through and the place is very established with great taste. And then they have me come through and shoot. So sure. they're not in a hurry. They want, they want like, they want it to look great. You know, they don't want an empty house. And so, so then, you know, obviously dealing with a, an empty room is very different than dealing with, um, you know, a designer's gorgeous furniture and, um, you know, decor. So, um, it's very different, but not, not because of the home, but really because of the desire of the, the builder. So, um, it's rare that I get lower priced homes, so I can't speak to that, but the ones that are kind of semi-spec are usually shot empty, which I think is kind of, it's not necessarily a great idea. I think some of them think that maybe, oh, I can't get back in there once they move in, but the ones that have a really great relationship with their, with their client who they built the home for, they prep them for that. And they say, Hey, when we get this done, I'm going to want photos of it, but I'll let you get everything established, get your designer here. Um, so that's kind of how they roll. Sure. So you made a comment that, uh, I want to talk about business briefly. You made a comment that, um, you tend to shoot more $800,000 and up homes is the reason for that because there's a bigger budget there that is more of what you're looking for, or is it more just, you prefer to shoot those kind of houses? I think I know the answer, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Um, so I do prefer to shoot those kind of houses, but I also sort of priced myself in such a way that, um, people don't hire me for the lower end houses. Sure. Um, so I literally have some realtors in Austin who, um, I don't shoot real estate often. I have about, uh, three realtors I work with, but these particular realtors in Austin hire me only when the house is a million and up. And their reasoning is that I'm too expensive otherwise. So they literally said they have, um, they have a guy that they call their budget guy and he shoots everything for them up to about a million. And then when it's a million and up, they hire me. And part of the reason for that too, is it's one-stop shopping. They can get interiors, exteriors, aerials, twilights, and a video in one guy. You sure. know, yep. and get it fast. I mean, I can, I can provide those images in two days and the video in three and it's high quality stuff. And the, and quite often they're also aware because of previous, <coughs> previous dealings with me, they're aware that it will sell quickly. Um, I've, I've had, I've had homes that have sat on the market shot by someone else sat on the market for three months. And then I get hired to go in to do a reshoot and it sells two days later. So sometimes imagery is like all that's holding a house back. Sometimes it's price. Sometimes it's other things, it's price, it's location, it's whatever. But sometimes it's, it's the photography has not really grabbed someone as, you know, as you're scrolling, you need something that really stops you. Especially really, today. Yeah. Today. Cause you used to, if you just had photographs, I mean, that was, <laughs> sure. that was something that was enough, um, that was enough. Right. Um, but the market has changed so much in the way that things are today. You, you really have to be able to have a house that really stands out. And if it's not, if it's not the features of the house, then then you have to have, you have to capture it in a way that makes it feel like it's got those features. Absolutely. <laughs> Even yeah. if it doesn't really, you know what I mean? Right. And, and I think that's, that's what, um, I, I'm not knocking a budget photographer. I mean, there's guys who can make a great living running around and, and they're making it easy on themselves. They're shooting, they're shooting well and they like their lifestyle and they're shooting, uh, for inexpensive prices and they're getting hired by lots and lots of realtors to shoot lots and lots of houses. And they're probably, they're probably making, they may be making more than me. That's fine. I just, I really enjoy architecture and I, 
I like to be in those nice homes. You know, mm-hmm. I get to go in, you know, $3 million homes on, on golf courses and, you know, uh, and really take my time and do a really good job. And, uh, so I'm not knocking people who are shooting cheaper homes because the skill is almost exactly the same, really. I mean, I just sort of priced myself and decided that's what the, where I wanted to be shooting. And so, um, I work for less people, but for higher prices and, and I enjoy what I do. Um, it doesn't mean I, I don't turn away cheaper things because another part of my business, which I haven't mentioned yet, is I shoot a lot of B&Bs and, you know, B&Bs can be a one bedroom cabin out on a ranch in Wimberley, you know? Um, so that's not high end or anything like that, but, um, but I enjoy those too, because it's a different, um, it's a different mindset. Um, so and I have good relationships with some uh, B&B hosting companies that I shoot for. So That's awesome. Yeah. A couple years back, I had a friend of mine, James, fought um, from Wild Story Productions on, on a podcast. And we talked about real estate photography. Um, James, James had a background in doing outdoor video and outdoor photography, kind of like I did. Um, but he transitioned into more the real estate side of things. And his business model is different than yours. His is more... He does more residential homes, and he does uh, does them for um, a very good price. But his business model, he's very successful, and he's very capable, um, and he's a great photographer, but he's just built his whole business, his video and photography business on uh, quantity because there's two different, two different methods. You can make just as much doing this type of work if you're willing to do cheaper homes, do them fast, do five or six, seven, eight of them a day, and knock them out instantly and have a guy who's editing everything for you while you're just going around shooting them. You can make a great living like that, and that's what he does. But then there's the other there's the other route, which is the route you've gone, which is more of the kind of the direction I've gone, um, where you may, you may have the same amount of success, you just approach it differently. Right. So I think for anybody that's like doing residential homes and doing photography and video for them, and maybe they're more affordable homes, more affordable shoots, it doesn't mean you can't be as successful as someone like you. It just means maybe you have a different business model. And that's, and that's I think, yeah. important to point out. It, it is, but I'll, I can tell you there, there's, a, um, there's a thing that happens when you're, when you're trying to work fast and shoot a lot for people is that I, I think, um, I'm just kind of theorizing, that your composition suffers. It does because you're 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 moving too fast, right? Yeah. And so what I have found is is um, this is kind of how builders started coming to me is that I was shooting real estate, but I was having people. I literally had other photographers who like worked in a different market from me, Houston and and the like. Um, I had them call me and say like, "How do you compose your shots?" My boss is telling me like, "I want your shots to look more like Jeremiah's because I was I had a heavy presence on Facebook, which I'm not on anymore or Instagram, but. Uh, at the time I would post often and I would have guys like, what's your trick to composition? And, and, and I really think the answer to that is take time. Like you need need to spend a while in a kitchen to really, people are like, your your stuff just looks so high end. Well, that's because I'm taking forever to line up shots and, and really think through like, um, how to make that kitchen shine. And, and I'm, and you know, and there's the whole deal, like, you know, you're doing a lot of work behind the scenes, like hiding stuff and tucking things and, you know, cleaning if you need to. I mean, I have, I have literally shown up at a, at a place and left and came back with a broom and, and simple green and you know, started cleaning before I shot. And some people might think, well, that's not my job. Well, I, I think it is because I think that, you know, in order to get the best composition, you need to take time to 
to make it look great. And so, and I, you're going to know, you're going to know what makes it look great. Right. They may think it looks fine. Right. You know, I do think there is a, a line there because I had a photography real estate job several years ago and I showed up and I would have had to spend like three days cleaning it. And I just literally <laughs> told them, I was like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. And I just left. I just left. <laughs> well, but I get where you're coming from. Though. And I think the, the times when I really did that, when I cleaned hard was when I was on salary by that company. And I really just saw it as like, well, this is my job. You know, sure. I, it's I sure you could walk if you're a freelancer, but if you're a salaried position and your realtors just don't give a crap and the place looks bad, then yeah, you got to go get a, a broom and clean the place up. Right. So, um, so my, back to my, my thinking though, on, on the speed at which you're working affects your composition. If your composition is affected, that affects your future jobs and the yeah. and future earnings. So you can keep doing the speed thing. I like, can do a lot, but I was trying, I was, I was really trying to just get the best shots I could for the company I was working for. And that was resulting in people saying this composition is different. You know, and because they felt the composition was different then I was getting different people asking me to shoot for them. And so the, the company I was working for had a rule that I was not allowed to shoot any other real estate in their market or any other B&B in their market. But builders were fair game. So I started having builders contacting me and I started shooting for them. And then those are the sorts of projects that wind up in a magazine. Right. Those are the sorts of projects that wind up in really pretty ads. And so, you know, then you, then people are like, whoa, who shot that? Right. So I think if you're shooting fast, you're doing the, the bulk or the quantity real estate, that's great. But I think it's going to limit the sorts of things that you get to do in the future, which, um, you know, once I started shooting for a lot of builders, I have, um, at the end of August, there's a book coming out. It was supposed to be out already, but <laughs> it's running two months behind. There's a book that's been around since Oh three comes out. I think every year, every other year by a, uh, uh, designer named Joe Lee Carpenter. Um, and it's called spectacular modern homes of Texas. And I found out that I was getting, um, a couple of pages in that book from a designer shoot that I had done with, with a designer based in Fredericksburg. And then shortly thereafter, I had another one of my builders contact me and say, Hey, I need you to sign this release. We're getting in this book. And I said, is it called spectacular modern homes of Texas? And they said, yeah, how'd you know? And <laughs> turns out I have two builders and one designer and a total of 10 pages going into that book. And it comes out in August and will be, you know, Target and Barnes and & Noble and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, that's awesome. And so, again, I think, like, that's a really neat opportunity that I wouldn't have had if I was just shooting rushed real estate. Um, totally agree. And so, so I guess I, I, I didn't try necessarily to differentiate myself or to, and, and initially I didn't even try to price myself out of, of um, the real estate market. But what I was really just trying to do is do the best job I could for the company I was on salary for and give them the very best compositions to sell high-end homes in a very expensive market in Fredericksburg. But it turned out that by taking that time, going slow and getting great composition, I was starting to get asked to do cooler you know, projects and, and winding up in publications. And I think that, that I, I enjoy that. So it's like, I would rather do that than the bulk, you know, sure. the bulk stuff. I'd rather do um, one off projects that, you know, are, that take a lot of my time. I mean, I'll be at a home like, you know, half a day. Um, but, but the result is something that I am very proud of. And, um, and I might be making less than the guy doing bulk actually, you know, and I'm okay with it because I like, I like the images I'm producing, you know? Sure. Yeah. And that's important. I think, so for me, I'm like you. So the bulk guy, my point to that was, is like, that's not, it's not a bad route to go if that's no, if that's what you if that's what you want and you can make a great living at it. Um, I don't even like for me. I'm even different than you in that I don't even really do any real estate 
or even any really uh, architectural photography anymore. And it's not that I don't enjoy it or that I can't make money at it. It's just I want people to only think of me for like commercial work, video, and doc type stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's not, that, it's not that I think any of that's better than real estate or architectural photography. It's just that's where my passion is and those are the markets I want to be in. And I feel like if people see me doing a lot of real estate stuff, they're going to think of me as a real estate guy, not as a commercial videographer. Mm -hmm. And I really do think that's important. And for you, it's kind of the same exact thing. Like you want people to not think of you as the guy who's going to do a house like we're in right now, my house. <laughs> I don't have a million dollar house. <clears throat> but you want to be known. You want people, when they think of you, they want you want people to think of your images and how they're different. And, and you're that guy. And that's how you want to be known. And I think that's really important. So if you are the guy who's doing the kind of the budget homes, but you want to be doing the bigger homes, then you really need to be focused on, in my opinions, like you did, slow down, get better composition, work on your lighting so that people, when they think of you, maybe they'll think of you that way and not as the budget guy. Absolutely. I think that that's the way to go is, is start. Even if you, like, let's say you are the guy that's doing a, a lot of quantity and you wish that your quality was better. You know, you're, you're shooting in, you know, fine neighborhoods, but you would rather be shooting in the high end neighborhoods. Then I would say, you know, the, the goal then is to, you know, treat every home, like even the $250,000 home as if it were a million, you know, mm -hmm. um, try to see the best in it, try to get the very best compositions you can. And, um, you know, try, I mean, look at it in, in your mind. Like when you go into the house, see if you can make it look like it belongs in a magazine, even though it's not an expensive home and you're not being paid a lot for it. And I think that what that does is then people start seeing those compositions and you're going to get asked, you know, maybe you might even be working for a realtor that doesn't give you the high end homes. Maybe you're the budget guy, you know, and that's fine too. Again, if you want to be doing that, that's fine. Cause you can make really good money and you don't have to care a lot. You can just kind of fly through those homes quickly. You know how to do it. Like you, you do your thing, you shoot fast and you're out and that's, that's great. But if, if you were trying to kind of maybe jump up a little bit, I would say just treat the home like it's really expensive, you know, and shoot it well and, um, and maybe take a little bit longer, maybe put a little bit bigger gaps in between your shoots so you have the time to spend in there. Yeah, and um, it, may mean, it may mean that you do less jobs, but the end result might be that you can eventually work your way into that market. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, like, this is a really strange thing that I do, and I've had a few realtors... Um, give me a little bit of pushback against this. And then when they see the quality, they, they decide that it's fine. But I, I've actually asked realtors, I want to take over. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, I want to take over the house. Like, I don't want anybody in it. Like no owners, none of you, none of your realtors, like get it staged, get it where you want it. And then I want you out. And the reason why is I, I really like to take my time and like, you know, consider different angles of a kitchen and spend a while in there. And you know, when you have owners present, they talk to you and, oh, what camera is that? And, you know, like, uh, oh, do you want me to move that? You know, you've just taken the shot for the third time. They're like, do you want me to move that paper towel roll? And I'm like, yeah. I already took the shot. I mean, I can always take it again. But the point is, I started asking for like space and time to do the job. And that, you know, at first people were like, what, you need two hours to shoot this house? And I'm like, dude, I would take four if you gave it to me. But yeah, I need two, you know, or whatever. And so I think it's just, I think it is a matter of 
slow down, be, you know, ask for what you, the space and time that you want and, and even the, the lack of people, you know, I, I've actually literally told people, I'm like, well, it take me two hours if there's no owners present and three, if there is, <laughs> because they, they distract you, they slow you down. And even the realtors will distract you and slow you down. You know, you'll shoot the room and they'll be like, wait, let me fluff that pillow. And, and then you shoot it again. They're like, wait, let me fluff that one too. You know, it's like you get, I, I tell designers, get the place where you want it and then let me have at it. Especially if you're, if you're also doing video. So you know, people are like, well, can we, can we just hide out in a room? I'm like, well, with video, I'm going to be, I can go through the house pretty quickly. I'm going room to room very fast. And, you know, I'd rather not have to push you around from room to room to room to stay out of my way, you know? And sometimes like I'll, I'll be shooting a house and I'll see lighting in a room that like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to come shoot that real quick and go back to the kitchen that I was working on. Does that make sense? You know, oh, like yeah. you've got sunlight moving around the house at all times and maybe you got light streaming in. If you're doing design shots, you want a little more sunlight coming in real estate it doesn't matter as much um and so i think you just have to ask for the things you want take time go slow great compositions treat the house like it's expensive and uh, your game will you'll increase your game you know people will start coming to you with who have more budget you know and who yeah and not nicer places and not even just from a budgeting standpoint but even just the market is so flooded with photographers right now. Oh, I yeah. think you have oh, an yeah. acronym that I, I explained to my wife the other day, and now she said it like thirty-five times. But you, I believe you called it an MWAC. MWAC. I I didn't coin the phrase. Okay. Um, a photographer, a friend of mine, and Bernie did. She's an uh, a uh, infant photographer, and she is the best I've ever seen. She's degreed and certified, and and just the best photographer I've ever seen. And she made that reference. She said. She said something about an MWAC. She said, I have to compete with all the MWACs. And I was like, what is that? She said, mom with a camera. <laughs> and it really is. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, a woman gets a, you know, camera from her husband from Best Buy. And, you know, all of a sudden um, she has a Facebook page and says, I'm a, photo uh, I'm a portrait photographer. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Like there's tons of people out there that need that and also have no budget <laughs> really to spend <laughs> on it. And so that's totally fine. But yeah, in the real estate market, you are competing with a lot of people. A Just lot of people. Got a, they got a camera and they heard of HDR and boom, they're yeah, a real exactly. estate photographer, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. And my, so my, I make, I pick on my wife a little cause she's in a way an MWAC. She's about to be a mom mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and she's got, uh, an A7R2 that I gave her. Uh, I think one thing that help, helps That's her though. your standard MWAC camera though. <laughs> it's not. And, and also I do this full time for a living. Right. So I was able to teach her like, like I've met, um, moms with cameras who don't know what ISO or aperture or anything like that. Right. Well, my wife at least does. She knows all those things because I drilled. Shooting on auto. <laughs> right. Yeah. I drilled it into her. Um, but the, but the point being is that there are a lot of people like that out there that you have to compete with and just taking your time and slowing down and, and really learning what you're doing, not being the HDR guy, yep. um, can really help you just get more, more than anything, just get more work because you've got to stand out against so many other people. Um, we're going to start jumping into real estate or uh, architecture photography, and which is kind of the point of this podcast. And it, it, it kind of has to do with what we're talking about because my first time ever doing architecture photography or architectural photography, however you want to say that, um, I spent... I think it was eight hours on one shoot for eight photographs. We brought in uh, someone to stage stage a house. It was already a house that, um, like you said, had been lived in for a handful of months, but we still even wanted to stage it further than that. So we brought a, stage, a girl in and she staged it for us. And um, the particular architect I was working for was really interested in showing off the lighting of this house. So we had to not only 
do our own lighting, but we were working a lot with the natural light to kind of show how it came in when you made a comment earlier that you might be chasing light around in a, in a room even. And that was kind of what we were doing. We were waiting for, we would get everything set up and we would wait for the light to hit just right. It was a much slower process than you would think yeah. to get eight photographs, but there were eight really great photographs. There were magazine ads, things just like what you explained. And it is a completely different experience than what you would find in a traditional um, real estate shoot. So you told me that you've been doing a lot of architecture photography. So can you explain to people, I kind of briefly touched on it, but can you kind of tell us a little bit more about what the difference between real estate and architectural photography is? Yes, actually it's one of my favorite subjects because I think it's one of the things that guys, um, guys and gals who are doing architectural, like they're doing real estate and maybe they do, they occasionally shoot a B&B and they occasionally have a builder call them up and and you can look at their portfolio and see that every single place, no matter what it is, whether it was for a builder, a designer, an architect, a B&B, or a real estate agent, they're all shot exactly the same way. And that is, that's your biggest mistake right there, is um, if you wanted to improve, um, I would encourage you to realize that those all those different things are selling different things. They so are. Real estate is selling a space, right? B&Bs are selling an experience. Architecture, architects are selling lines. They're selling 100%. You know, the the time that they put into creating the lines in that space, right? Um, builders are are selling they're they're not like real estate, they're selling a space, but they're really selling quality of the space, right? And then you have um, who did I forget designers? Designers are kind of selling their decor. So so the question is, how are those different? Well, would you shoot them all at the same focal length? Heck no. No. Right? So um, real estate, you know, people just shoot wide as frick, right? Yeah. I call it WAF. I look at photos and I show them to my wife and I'm like, look, that's WAF. It's just wide as frick, right? <laughs> just as wide as you can go, every single room. And I think that's, you know, that sometimes that works just fine for real estate because it's like people do want to see a lot of the floor. They don't want to see a sliver of it. They want to see the floor. And, and and maybe like what's behind that door, right? You know, they need to see the closet, and you know, they need they want to see that how many windows were in that room because they need to know this information because that is what you're selling is the space. But in architectural photography, like let's say you're working for a high end builder, really you need a tight shot because they want to see the wood grain. They want to see you know I shoot for builders who are building with stone and chinking and and uh, you know like they're building log cabins. They're they're building like massive reclaimed wood rafters in a home that's very modern. Um, and so like they need to see those textures, you know, they need to see how high quality it is. They need to see, uh, the person looking at those images wants to see the baseboards and all that kind of stuff. And so the shots are much, much tighter. They're much, they're pushed in further. They're, you know, you're shooting those shots maybe at 35 millimeters, whereas the WAF guy is shooting at 17. You know, sixteen, something like that. Yeah, I think I um, even shot some on like fifty plus. Yeah, I think I yeah. even shot some at like seventy millimeters for for design. Yes. So it, again, in a bigger space, you get to back up further and push in for push in harder. So you, if you can, if you're in a big home, you can back way up, push in, and then you're compressing that image. Yes, exactly. You're getting you're getting foreground and background closer to each other, and you're really creating like a sense of feel and like you're there. You know, um, and so, and but then in a B and B, you're shooting that very different as well because um, in a B and B, what what are you selling? Well, you're selling an experience. I mean, literally the bed. You are selling like 
the, oh, that's where I'm going to sleep if I go stay there. And, oh, that's the shower I'm going to use. It is completely different mindset. And so I think actually the biggest mistake that uh, people call themselves architectural photographers or real estate photographers are making and why they're not seeing like growth in their, in their business is because they're not understanding that each thing you're shooting is selling something different and you should be shooting for what the person that hired you is selling. What are they trying to sell and how do I make my images do that for them? So it's not just go into every room at 17 and pull the trigger, you know, it's, it's really thinking through like, what's the point of this shot? You know, who, who's it for? What am, what are, what are they interested in? You know, you can even put it in extreme. So like, like to make it simple for someone to understand, just like if you were selling, if you were selling a ranch and you wanted to show the ranch off, like an immediate thought would probably be like, man, I want to get an aerial, this fast landscape. Mm -hmm. But if that same client also is a car dealer and wants to sell a Ferrari, you're going to shoot that Ferrari completely different than you would. I mean, this sounds crazy because I'm using extremes, but I'm doing it to prove a point. You're going to shoot the car completely different. You're going to show the stitching on the leather. You're going to show um, really interesting shots of maybe the wheels or the, the steering wheel or anything like that. And so you're going to use completely different lenses, completely different techniques than you would for like an aerial shot to show off a landscape. And that, those are extreme examples. But they're to prove a point that you're selling a different product. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, ranches are a great example. I'll give you two examples that are that support what you're saying. Uh, I, sh I shoot a lot of ranches, um, and I've seen guys in the past that some of my competitors that just they'll just shoot aerials, um, or maybe they will come to the ground. They'll do a few ground shots, but they'll for some reason they'll be wide again, and you know they'll be they'll be shooting at like 15 millimeters on the ground, which just is just a a ton of grass in front of you and that's it like so when people ask me to shoot ranches i take like you know a 24 to a 105 and i push way in and i anchor the shot with maybe a little bit of tree in front and then the view or the grass or whatever so at you know if you're shooting at 75 millimeters with a little bit of anchoring then you really get a sense of the space you know shoot into the sun so it's you know beaming through the trees and just create a bit of romanticism about that piece of property because pieces of property the kinds of properties i'm shooting you know some of them are two and three million dollars and that person who has that money for that ranch they don't want to see a shot at 17 millimeters it shows a bunch of grass like it's a it's a sophisticated buyer with a lot of money and if you can get great photography that that doesn't have that super wide feel and isn't just entirely aerials where they can't, well, what is, what is the terrain? You know, like people, they care, a person buying that land cares about the diversity of the property. What the, what the, what's the water, what's the rock situation, what do the trees look like? And you know, that you have to get on the ground and walk that thing. Um, sometimes for hours I've shot 500 acre hunting ranches and I've spent half a day on them or I've spent the night on them. Like I have a rooftop tent and spend the night and do sunrise shots and sunset shots and spend the day on the property that takes time. And again, your compositions are better. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the idea of like, what are you, what are you selling and how do you present that best? And I'll give you one other example. I, I just got back from a shoot in Dallas, shooting a bunch of pools for a pool company and they do pools and hardscaping. And so again, with pools, I've seen guys do like mostly aerials and then a few shots where, you know, the tripod is at six feet tall. Right. And they're trying, cause they're trying to show the entire space. Like here's the whole space, but really like there are times where I lower my tripod down to as small as it gets. So it's like one foot off the ground and get on the corner of the pool and, and show the water from that angle. 
And what you're showing is the hardscaping. You're showing the, the fibers of the astroturf, the cement, the black rock, the pool, you know, with the waterfall coming off of it. And like, you've got to get close. You got to get down there and show people like, what are you trying to sell? Well, the quality of the hardscape and the quality of the pool. And you can't show that from a bird's eye view, you know? So the idea is just figure out what you're trying. And, and you can give them the bird's eye view shot as well in that set of photos. But again, like if you can help your client by selling what they're trying or helping them get imagery of what they're trying to sell, then you're their guy from then on because they, they see that you understand the difference or they don't even know. Maybe they don't even know why they like the shots. They're just like, these are really great. And like, they don't understand like the, the reason why is because it's not from far away or too high or, or whatever. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. You know, you, you were, especially when you were mentioning the, the ranch thing. So a few years ago I shot, so there was a, um, client of mine who called me up and said, man, I've got a 5,000 acre ranch in uh, Northeastern Oklahoma that I want to sell. And he was going to sell it. It was like $14 million or something like that. It was a big property. And he's like, I want to do, I want to list this for real estate. How, well, you know, what's the best way we can do a video for it? And I said, well, the best way is we need to approach it differently than everybody else. We need to showcase the experience of the ranch, not just right. aerial shots and and throw a realtor, realtor's logo on it. We need to treat it completely different. So I spent seven days on the ranch and I shot it like it was a short film. I wrote an entire script and I had him voice the script and it was basically, and I never even once said the word for sale. I didn't say it once. The entire project was this man, this older gentleman, explaining his love for this property and why he chose it and why how he just has loved managing it over the years. And the all, only reference to real estate he ever said was toward the end, he said he understood it was time to pass the torch on to the next the next uh, owner of the hollow or something like that. And it was, it was very subtle. And it was a seven and a half minute project and we sold that place in three weeks. A buyer found it on Facebook, saw the video, called, came out, did a private helicopter tour, done. It was a very expensive project. It was seven days of filming and it was like five days of editing. And, you know, we, we had three different soundtracks and all this stuff. And so it was a really high end project. But I mean, look how much it sold for. Yeah. And we didn't have to use a real estate company. We sold it straight from the video just like that. The only time you use a real estate company was to basically do the transaction. Right. And so the point to that is, is that. Every place and everything is different. Just because you have a drone and a camera doesn't mean you should treat every place the same. Right. Which yeah. taps into what you were saying. So you, t you mentioned earlier how in architecture they are big on lines. That's a word that every architect I've ever worked with has said over and over and over again. Can you explain to people what that is? Well, so, I mean, obviously if you're, if anybody's doing real estate photography, they've at least been told like, you know, that they should have straight verticals. That means that like the camera is exactly looking at the room without any skew in any direction. It's not leaning forward or sideways or anything. It's, it's exactly, um, all the lines, all the vertical lines in the room are straight up and down. And, you know, there's plenty of post correction nowadays. So even if you're shooting wide, you're shooting real estate wide and at 17 millimeters, it has a little bit of bend in it. That's all fixable in post very quickly. Um, so yeah, it's about lines and verticals, but architects care even more so about that. Like maybe an architect would want, um, there's the concept of like, um, like a single point. Um, so a lot of times people will shoot a room at angles, right? Which is great. It works for almost every room, but at times you need to like do a straight on shot, just a single point where there's not, there's not uh, multiple walls showing. It's just one maybe. 
Um, and, and that would be kind of a detailed shot, but an architect might care about that because maybe it shows, you know, the way that the way that, that the, um, you know, cabinets are placed, the way that the island is placed the, or the, you know, a chimney or the things that they've designed. Like maybe there's, there's, um, you know, dormers at the top of the room. Like, so again, it's, it's about like creating the straightest shot of the most details of what that guy was, is proud of, you know, and that's, you know, that's kind of architectural photography, like in a nutshell, it's like, get the straightest lines you can, the best composition showing off the most of what he cares about as you can possibly do. And if you can add lighting to that, you know, meaning like natural light coming in through, through that dormer at the top of the room, that's great. You know, you can't always do that depending, it depends on like, it depends on how much time they're willing to give you and how much budget. But mm-hmm. um, there's also apps out there to help you figure that out. So one of my favorites is Sunseeker um, because Sunseeker will show you where the sun will be in relation to a property at every single hour of the day. And you can even look in the future. So you can say, I've got to shoot in a month. Um, where will the sun be hitting that house at you know what time of day on you know, September 20th. It's really cool. And it has a, um, has like, what is it called? Virtual reality. You can pull your camera up and look at the house and it'll show the sun and where it's going to land or where it's going to be coming down on the house at what time. So you can kind of time things like, okay, it'll be nice and low on that side of the house, which is where the master bedroom is. And it'll be beaming through that window. So if I want that kind of shot, that's when that shot's going to be taken. So that's why I'll show up early to a shoot and start, you know, videoing the whole house because I'm waiting for photography until the sun's lower to get into that master bedroom. So sure. it's that kind of stuff. But anyway, that's that's the answer to the architectural. Like it, lines just means your verticals. But but the architect cares about that probably more than any real estate, um, maybe even more than a builder. But um, but builders care about it too a lot because again, that's that was their build. That's the quality. You're, you know, you're showcasing the the quality of how they position things in the house and, and, and maybe even their plans, you know, maybe sometimes you're not dealing with an architect, you're dealing with a, a builder that just has a bunch of different floor plans that they kind of start with. They base their, their builds on, even if they're fully custom, they may start with a specific floor plan that they do often, you know? So it's just shooting it in such a way that it showcases that build quality. So one thing you mentioned is you talked about wide lenses and bends and correcting that in posts and stuff. Um, a lot of people don't realize that in like architectural photography, it's not uncommon to use like tilt shift lenses, yeah. which allow you to correct that in the field. And unfortunately, Sony, and I believe you're a Sony photography shooter, correct? You have an A7 III? A7 III, yeah. Um, unfortunately, Sony doesn't have any tilt shift lenses available. So if you were to use a tilt shift lens, you'd have to rent or buy a Canon and then get like an adapter and that, that whole thing. Um, I actually used to, uh, Canon's tilt shift on Sony you, through, you've adapted through the it. MC11, the Sigma MC11. Sure. And that works fine. Uh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. So like you can, there are workarounds, yeah. but they're really useful. Do you, can you explain briefly what a tilt shift lens is? Yeah, I'm not, I don't use them very often. And the reason why is I just find the post-production to be a pain in the rear. And sure. I've done it some, um, I've rented them and, and borrowed them and stuff and, and done some shots of them. It kind of depends on usually where they're, where they're really helpful is in buildings that are way too tall for you to shoot and, and in areas where you can't fly a drone. Right. Um, or in bathrooms that are absolutely tiny, but that designer just has to have you shoot it. <laughs> um, so what it does is you're able to like basically frame up your shot and like, let's say you're shooting a bathroom and you're showing floor to maybe three quarters of the way up the mirror, but you're not showing the light fixture. 
because you just can't get it all in. You could if you went wider, but then you're getting too much of the room that you don't want. So the tilt shift lens would allow you to push that, that shot. So take those shots and then push the image up higher. And now all of a sudden you're getting, you know, you're not seeing the floor anymore, but you are seeing the light fixture and then you marry those two images together. And I, I find the post-production to be a, a pain in the rear on that. It is. Um, I would rather just give the client a vertical. Um, <laughs> That's what know. I do. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. It's much easier just turn your turn your tripod and give, give them a vertical. Now I understand there's there's a huge benefit to them because because even that vertical will have some some um, bend in it, especially to get a bathroom in. You're you're going to see some bent lines uh, or curved lines. I just find that the post production stuff is so good nowadays, like that I can fix almost anything that that's bothering me in that realm without paying three thousand dollars for a lens and adding a bunch of really difficult stuff to my post-production 100 percent yeah um but i can see the benefit for them um if you if you buy and practice with them and and get good at that you, you can probably get different work honestly um higher you, you can but. i i don't own them um i don't spend much time with them. I've worked with them some. Um, I'm like you. I would rather do, do a vertical and do a lot of correcting and yeah. post. Not, and I'm not, I'm not normally that guy. Normally I'm the guy, especially in video where I want it right in the field. Absolutely. But I, I, for me, it's beyond what I need. Right. Well, and there's a fine line between time spent um, in the field, changing lenses, um, you know, the money that you've spent on the lens, and then there's the time in post-production and what's the, what's the net gain of that for just shooting uh, that one tiny bathroom that the tilt shift lens did well for. And, and some people would say, no, you can use them in, in a big living room that has, you know, uh, beams and needs, um, you know, I need to shoot the floor all the way to the ceiling and that tilt shift does a better job of that. Absolutely true. I totally agree with you. It does. I just find that my clients are not, I, if I shoot a vertical for them in a living room with a beam like that, they're more than happy with it. I've never had anybody be like, why wasn't this tilt shifted so that it's you know, like uh, most your clients don't even know that lens exists. Hundred percent. So um, if you're you know if you want to use it, great. I mean, it, it really does take practice. Um, I, I have a friend in Houston that he's a shooter, really great real estate photographer. He does only pretty much only real estate. He does some commercial too, but he doesn't really shoot for architects. But he has a tilt shift lens. But and I've borrowed it from him, and I've I've done shots with it, um, but. It, Again, he, even he admits that it never comes out of his house. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's a super heavy lens and it costs you $3,000. You want to take that out of your house every single day for shoots and take the time to line it up? It's, I mean, you can and, and it, may, it may increase your game, but it's, I don't know that it's really worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like when I, when I laugh when most people want, like talk about how much they want to shoot raw video, but then when they start actually practicing that and doing that they realize eh, the return isn't really here and right. log was good enough and the difference is not really that huge and i can typically get what i want if i just expose correctly and light well yeah. and so you just end up never doing it yeah. <laughs> same same principle I, and so i would encourage like a, a listener who's who, if they're not doing this and they want to do it or if they are and and they want to kind of step up their game i mean i'm really actually using just a 12 to 24 and a 24 to 105 that's it like uh, if i need detailed shots i've I have some like, you know, ridiculously shallow depth of field 50s and 85s that I take to the shoot for detailed shots just to blow out the background. But that's again, in real estate, you're shooting at like F8. 
Mm-hmm. So if you have a, yeah, because you're 12 to 24, you don't have the you have the F4 version, right? Yeah, because you don't you don't need anything mean, less than that. Why do you need 2.8? You want to yeah. go shallow on a wide shot? E- Everything in a wide shot's in focus anyway. <laughs> even on a gimbal, like what real estate I have done, I wouldn't like I have a 1635 2.8, but I wouldn't set it at 2.8. Right, you, correct. You know, like so why that's, would you do that's that? a great thing. If you're a real estate photographer, you can actually save money and go with F4 lenses. And um, and the reason I do 24 or 105, by the way, I used to have a 24 70 2.8 Mark II Canon gorgeous lens yeah i like that lens. but again every once in a while i need to go push past 70 and right. i didn't want to do that like digitally and so i was like why do i have this fancy 2.8 i could just go with an <laughs> f4 105 and, I fa- and occasionally push past that not a, not to mention it's handy in video as well to have that 105 uh so i switched to that because it's a cheaper lens and um and it's been doing everything i needed to do so um yeah and we we've talked off podcast you mentioned how you were kind of doing a little research on an fx6 mm-hmm. that doesn't have ibis so that 24 to 105 does so yeah. if you ever buy an fx6 you'll have an image stabilization in that lens right which is it, that's pretty handy i mean I, I shoot all panasonic as you know and so i have really good ibis but um but yeah occasionally like if i start shooting on a sony um you know, so every once in a while I've done like, I've shown up to shoots where they're like, oh, we want video on this one too. Like last minute decision. I'm like, and you I just don't have, have any of my video three. cameras. I have yeah. my a7 III. So I'm yeah. like, well, thank God I've got <laughs> image stabilized uh, lenses, you know. And actually the steady shot's really good too. Um, I just haven't used it enough to like be familiar with. With know, the IBIS on it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The so IBIS is setting imp- it up well. The so. IBIS has improved in the newer cameras. It's just the cinema cameras like the FX6 doesn't, they don't have IBIS. Which makes sense because that should be, that's probably your locked down yeah and, and, and then they came up with this whole uh you know gyro thing and using catalyst and i'm like well that that just undoes your need for ibis you it's know pretty Basically. handy too I, i've done a fair amount of that since i bought the fx6 i've gotten some shots where i shot handheld off my 24 to 70 24 728 does not have image stabilization the camera does not have ibis so there's no stabilization now when i shoot on like my my easy rig i can work past that but sometimes i don't have that right. and so i have used the gyro sensor data and catalyst browse and actually it's shockingly good yeah it's really good um yeah it crops in slightly on the image but it's not bad and you have complete control over how much it is so nice. it's and not it's something pretty, you're going to notice probably anyway. No, I mean, I, I've, I don't think I've ever gone in past like 5% because I've never needed to, nice. you know, I'm also not like walking and talking and stabilizing that right. either. I use the right tool for the job for that. Right. But so you have uh, you have a couple, you have a, a 12 to 24, a 24 to 105 an a7 Let's talk briefly. I don't want you to give me any of your trade secrets, but tell me a little bit uh, about your techniques. Do you do all natural lighting or do you light? And also just tell us a little bit about kind of how you like a, approach a shoot. Well, yeah, again, without giving away like the whole way I do things, but a lot of people are doing this and you can find all this information on YouTube. Like there's plenty of uh, big names in architectural photography who shoot the way I shoot. So uh, basically I'm using a combination of natural light and flash. Sure. Um, and these are all hand blended. Um, there's no software making the decision. It is done by a human being. So, so let's talk about that because um, it's very important to me because there's a huge difference between like shooting some stack photos and creating HDR mm-hmm. and hand blending yourself and going in and like cutting things in and out. Yeah. It makes a way more natural looking image. Yeah. And I actually don't cut. Like, so I have, I have, a, I have a friend in Austin who's like begging me to tell, tell him how I do uh, windows. I actually don't cut them. Like I'm not using a lasso or a pen tool and cutting them. I'm using techniques, um, using blending modes on layers and shooting it. As, so it's again, it's in your pre, it's in your production, like not in your post. 
It's how you shot it that allows you to do what you do in post. Sure. And so if you're shooting it wrong at the house and you come back to post-production and then you're having to cut lines for the windows, then again, you're doing it wrong. And sure. Look on YouTube for windows and or window exposure for real estate photography and there's a a ton of information out there. Yeah. I, don't, I don't actually enjoy <laughs> that part of the job. <laughs> no. I enjoy shooting and composition. I right. do not enjoy the the editing, but um, basically, you know, it's um, I'm not cutting, but like, for, let me give you a good example. Uh, Twilights, which have nothing to do with flash. They're all hand blended. They're never done with HDR software. No, no computer makes the decision on how I do it. So, you know, you apply a light bit of correction in Lightroom and then you get it in Photoshop and layers and you start painting. And when I say painting, I'm talking about a 5% brush and start painting until you like it, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, uh, that, that's it. That's how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. When I say cut, I didn't quite mean it like that, but yeah, that's exactly well, how some people are it. cutting their windows. So they're going in with a lasso and they're cutting. That sounds miserable. Yeah. Plus it like, <laughs> plus the problem with that would be is if you were cutting it, you, you, your edges, if they're not perfect, they could create some issues there. Oh, I see it all the time. Like, yeah. I, I see that too. Yeah. yeah. I can see, I can see where like there's, there's uh you know, and, and sometimes there's even camera movement. I've seen guys' photos where there's like leaves uh, like imprinted into the oh. windowsill. I'm like, how'd that get there? Well, the camera moved a little bit and then they hand, they they uh, cut it with a lasso and then they, it's left behind some weird artifacts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you also get like, they cut too much or, you know, it's like if it's a white window and you cut too hard and you got some black and it's like, where'd that come from? The, well, the windows still is white. And yeah. not only that, but if you cut it out, then sometimes it can almost look unnatural too. Right. So I'm like you, I kind of do like more of a painting method because mm -hmm. I want it to look as natural as possible. I don't, for me, I don't have to have the outside looking perfectly exposed every time. To me, that doesn't even look supernatural. I want mine to look as natural as I possibly can. Well, yeah, okay, so I agree and I disagree. The human eye can see that. So when you say it looks unnatural, I'm, it's like, I, When well, I say I unnatural, I'm talking like the HDR, right. it pops and is completely saturated right. type of thing. That's well, more of what so I'm what talking about. So what you're talking about is when the outside actually looks better than the inside. Yes, that's <laughs> and, that's what I'm referring yeah. to. And that I, I don't a, like. So whenever yeah. I blend, and I'm sure you do the same way, I want it to where, like, like I'm we're in this house right now, we can see inside, we can see outside, but the outside is not more colorful than the inside necessarily. Right. It's not more saturated. It's not more saturated. So whenever you, whenever you do the methods that we're talking about, you can get a more natural balanced look. Mm -hmm. And that, that to me is the difference between a pro shot and an MWAC shot. Yes, but let me give you, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say, when there are times where that should happen, and here's, here's an example. If I'm selling a B and B and that bedroom, that master bedroom has a, you know, million dollar view, then do I maybe want that more saturated than normal? Like maybe even in focus? No, I, actually, I agree. So I, I actually agree. used to do shots where I would like pull the focus um, from the room. So I'd focus on like, let's say a pillow on the bed, take the shot. And then when I start exposing for the window, I actually pull the focus and make that razor sharp. Without, if you have focus breathing, that creates an issue for you in post and it's hard. But, but you're like focus it. stacking is yeah, what you're doing. Yeah. Focus stacking in addition to, to exposure stacking. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it gets to be a pain in the rear. But again, what a, the question comes back to always, what are you selling? Yeah. Like if you're selling the view, if you're selling real estate that has a million dollar view, then you better make sure the view is good. And it's not some washed out, either cut or or painted in such a way that it has hazy edges. Like it better be good, right? Um, you can do, like I, and sometimes on B&Bs, I let them, the windows be overexposed. Don't even show the view. Why? Because it's not about the view. If the place doesn't have a good view, right, and I'm not selling real estate, 
I'm selling an experience of staying in that B&B overnight. Because the B&B the could literally be a garage turned into right, a B&B in right. downtown Dallas. So why do I need to expose for windows? You I actually want, want them blown the heck out. 100%. Yeah. Totally agree. And Because then it creates that feeling of like, oh, this is romantic. I'm going to go stay there, you know, take my wife for her birthday or whatever. And that's, um, I actually had a, uh, the, one of the companies I shoot for and do a lot of B&Bs for. They said that my, for some reason, my images do better with men. <laughs> like, in other words, most of their bookings, when I started shooting for them, started coming from men. That's interesting. Well, um, again, what am I selling? Well, the romanticism of it, you know, trying to make that guy go, that looks like a great place to spend a weekend away with my wife, you know? And so it's it's actually causing <laughs> their bookings to change from women to men. So, I mean, so your windows and all those sorts of decisions, they're not all, it's not just one answer for every single room. In totally. Every, in every single house. It's completely dependent upon what you're trying to accomplish. So, um, so yeah, all my stuff is kind of natural light and hand blending and, um, there is flash involved as well. Um, you know, I think probably the, the best piece of gear that a person could buy even before a flash, because you can hand blend really well nowadays. You um, really can, but your, your best piece of gear is a geared head, you know? So on your tripod, get even the cheapest geared head by Manfrotto, which is the 410, I think is what it's called is a killer geared head. And what a geared head does is it allows you to turn a knob to get just slight, slight movement left, right, up, down, um, and forward, back, right? So, or up and back, up and down, left and right, and, and, and panning across the room. And so a lot of times what I can do is I can set the tripod down and turn the geared heads until the bubbles level and then begin to look through the lens. So before I even begin the composition, why not just make sure all the lines are straight, right? Yeah, So totally different than a ball head where you're just, Praying to get everything lined up. <laughs> yeah, and I started that way, and I was like, this is hell. Like, I didn't even realize it was bad until I got a geared head, and I was like, oh, this is so much better. But you spend a lot of time just kind of tweaking and tweaking um, versus getting a geared head, getting your bubble level, uh, set the tripod down, get it level, and then begin to look at your composition. And now you're only dealing with your pan left to right because you know your up and down is perfect, and you're, and you're not skewed in any direction. Now, I will also say this. You get a geared head, and you're lining up a room, and you're like... I can't get the left part of the room and the right part of the room. Like the lines look good on the left, but they don't look good on the right. And then if I get it looking good on the right, it doesn't look good on the left. You know what that problem is? That's the builder. Mm -hmm. That's their fault. So there have been many, many times. And it, when, I remember when it first started happening to me, I thought, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And then I realized it's just in every single home. There's a lot of imperfections. And so I was shooting for a designer, designer and builder. They had both hired me. And uh, I put the camera up and I was trying to get this single point shot which is of the fireplace and the furniture and the hearth and all and the built-in bookshelves on either side. And I had it lined up, I thought, and I kept messing with it and messing with it and messing with it, trying to get the fireplace right. And I was like, I can't get this right. So I just stepped away from my camera and looked back and I was like, oh, that's because the fireplace begins to bend left <laughs> on its way up to the ceiling. Yeah. Right. So it's perfect to the bottom. And as it as it approaches the ceiling, it's literally started to curve. So I was never gonna get it. Right. And I even I even said something to like the designer. I was like, do you see that? She was like, don't tell the builder. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to mention it to him, but it really actually did bend. And then I found that that happens in every house. There's a lot of imperfections. And so just go with the, the line you trust the most in the room and then try to either, if it's real estate, don't fix a dang thing. If it's an arch, you know, if it's a architectural shot, you can, you know, you can fix a little bit of like, you know, you can skew that part of the room that's not looking right um, and just get it right. In real estate, I say, you know, you, you got to go with ethics. Like, don't fix things that are, that are, you know, unethical. Like, 100%. <laughs> so, you know, I don't mind fixing, like, for instance, if there's dirt on the wall, I'll fix it. If there's a hole in the wall, I ain't fixing it. Because no. that has to be there to be ethical. 
You Especially know? like some people today, it's not uncommon. I have friends who just did this. We'll buy a house, house sight unseen. And I, if you bought a house sight unseen and some editor took the hole out of the wall and they show up, there's a hole in the wall. They're going to be pretty mad. And I think yeah. there's even some laws against that. There is. I mean, yeah. you, that realtor could get in trouble with the real, real estate commission. Um, right. so it's, it, that's important. You know, that's, I have built, I have, uh, you know, real estate people are like, well, can you fix that brown spot in the grass? I'm like, no. I won't. Now, if a builder asked me to fix a brown spot in the grass, sure. Because it, it, it could, could the grass look like that on one of their builds? Of course it could, right? But but they're not selling that house. They're selling that they build houses. So it's not unethical for me to fix it in a builder shot. It is totally unethical for me to fix it in a real estate shot. Totally agree. My How are we doing recorder, it, it was, we were doing good. It just beeped at me for some reason. I don't know what that was all about. Battery warning. I don't know. <laughs> um my, we can wrap this up anyway. My big take home from from this is I, I hope when people listen to this podcast, you'll understand there is a difference between doing like a residential photography shoot for a typical residential home like we're in right now um, and doing like architectural photography on the complete other end of the spectrum. It might require some different equipment, different or you can even use the same equipment, but different thought process going in. Like you said, it's what are you selling and thinking about that when you go in to shoot the photographs. It's not shooting wide and stacking and creating HDR images. It's completely different. You have to think about different focal lengths. You have to think about different ways of uh, lighting and you might do a blend of natural light and artificial light and you might um, do a lot of blending in post and all these different things. And so it's it's more complicated and it takes a lot more time Mm -hmm. and some more experience because you gotta learn how to do this stuff. But the end result is you can get into really desirable markets if you take your time. It's not going to be an overnight thing, but you can work your way into different markets. Maybe like you, get featured in um, some magazines and things like that. And that could really boost your career if you're willing to take the time to go that route. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a fair assessment. The, I would say the average the average real estate photographer has all the tools they need probably unless they only have, you know, maybe a 12 to 24. If they're working with 16 to 35, they're probably already set. Um, so just picking up a, a little bit longer lens means you can work with a little more of the designer, um, type people. Um, they, they want tighter shots and, and longer lenses to compress the foreground and background. Um, but the average person has all the tools they need, um, that's already shooting real estate or shooting any kind of architectural stuff. It's just, um, I, again, like you said, it's just the thought process is a little different and the time is a little bit different and quite a bit if you're willing to if you're willing to put some effort into those two things um and you're starting out even if you're a really great already a great real estate photographer if you just want to kind of move into like getting into publications and things like that then you know changing your thought process trying to work trying to work with higher end people just trying to work with those builders and designers um who that you know real estate people don't usually get into a magazine but builders do and builders get into books all the time builders enter competitions all the time so a lot of, you, you a lot of my builders enter competitions and right and that means that means your stuff's being seen you know pretty wide and when they win they repost maybe they post it the day you gave it to them and then they win the award and then they repost again and then they win that was a regional award now they won a national award and they repost it again and your your images just get seen over and over again which doesn't happen with real estate which is 
a throwaway sort of thing. It like is a totally the throwaway moment thing. that thing sells, they throw it away. Yeah, you, you mentioned that you did some pool stuff. I've done some pool stuff as well. And um, like for the pool builder that I've done work for, he his pools win a lot of awards. And yeah, same thing. Like they're featured in all different kinds of publications. He reshares the photos over and over again. It's completely different than a throwaway real estate image. Yep. Actually, let me give you a good example. This is a really cool thing that happened. And, I, and I'm, I'm really not very good at the business stuff. So I'm trying to learn this. But like um, I shoot for builders and, and sometimes like I'll have somebody contact me because they want to buy the images as well. And I really, I really am not very good at, uh, you know, reselling, but I'm kind of trying to learn. But um, so I shot for, I shot for a builder um, around Canyon Lake and Keith Zars, who's one of the, you know, kind of premier pool builders in this area in San Antonio. And they have a show called Pool Kings. Um they they caught contact me for to buy the images. They weren't involved in the shoot in any way, but they had done the they had done the pool. So they bought the images from me. They entered in a competition. It won a regional competition. Now it's in a national competition and in the final, they're in the final few. Then the surfacing company of the that or the company that provided the surfacing for that pool is called Pebble Tech. Pebble Tech uh put that image on the cover of a book that they produce every year called world's greatest pools. It made it on the cover. Then Pebble tech put it as a, a wall in their conference room, that image. So it's just like, you know, if you spend, and I spent a ton of time on that project and, and worked my tail off in the heat to get those shots. And so it's kind of like one of those things where I thought I was just shooting for the builder. That's it. You know, it's just a normal builder shoot, but I really put a lot of effort into it because I showed up and I was like, gosh, such an amazing space. I don't want to screw this up, you know? So you really work hard and then like people start contacting you, you get like, you get to resell that image, you get competitions, you get, you know, magazines and things like that or books. And it's just, it's worth the time. It's worth the time to like work really hard at getting a great image, you know? And, um, and I, I don't like, sometimes I feel like it's just like, I don't even know how I do what I do. It's sort of like one of those, like, little bit of natural talent, but also just a little bit of thinking, you know, cause again, the gears, it's not that fancy. It's an a seven which is not even like the high resolution one. And you know, my lens is not even a super high dollar lens. So I think it's not about equipment. It's just about taking time to, to learn how to, how to shoot the highest quality you can and meet the client's needs, you know, like do with get the image to do what that client needs it to do, you know? I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think if there was one thing, honestly, you could spend your money on is, is the tripod in the head. Yeah, like that would be like, and, and I even treat that in, in my business. Like I, like my, like I, I run two Sockler tripods. I paid a lot of money for them, but they're going to last me my career and my shots. Like I, I don't have to even think about it. Like I know they're going to be stable. Even if I'm shooting at 400 millimeters mm-hmm. like i know it's going to be stable and like it yeah. rocks all i would rather shoot on a on a tripod like that with a cheap camera and a cheap lens than i would the opposite yeah because to me it makes a huge difference so like i think if you're going to get into the like if you're wanting to just be better and like improve your quality in terms of equipment i would start with your tripod more than anything yeah tripod and head and, tripod and, and head. again like your lens could be it doesn't have to be the two the highest end lens. Yeah. Well, like, and I'm using like Sigma. So like, you know, there's a Sigma art and there's a not art. Well, I'm using the one that's not art, but you don't need it. I mean, I've been doing it for years now with that same dang lens. And like, nobody's ever said like, this isn't high enough quality. I mean, even, even for the cover of books and magazines, like nobody's ever said like, this is lacking in quality or lacking in resolution or whatever. Yeah. So, let, let me blow your mind here. So my <laughs> wife, I gave her an a seven R two and she shoots 
with an a7r2 um i didn't want to give her any of my lenses because i <laughs> i need them for work <laughs> um so i at the time when i gave her that camera we weren't wanting to spend a lot of money in it yet until we decided if this is something she really likes so i paid 250 dollars for sony's 50 millimeter 1.8 yeah and to this day, it's like several years later, she's done all kinds of paid photography projects. It's the only lens she owns, 250 bucks. And her photos are awesome. And I, I'm just blown away by it. And it's a $250 lens. So it, it, isn't, it isn't the gear. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Honestly, if you saw my portfolio and then I told you what lens I'm using, you would, you would freak. <laughs> You'd be like, that's, that's not a very good lens for that for what you're doing. It's again, I think it's in your process and your mindset and you know, your eye. I mean, eventually like you, you, you have to have a little bit of talent and an eye for things. Um, and then that thought process. So, you know, it's all, people always think it's about gear and it's really not like, again, you, you hand the, you can, you can hand gear to, to somebody with talent and, and they'll get something out of it or, or with a, a good mindset on how to accomplish the job, you know, and you know that cause you're, you're a video producer. You understand like, you know, you got an FS six, but if you, if I handed you a a 6,500, you'd still get the job done. Right. And it'd still look amazing because it's not entirely about the gear. It's about the guy behind it and the amount of time that he's put into understanding how to get the best image out. I shot, I shot part of my Pakistan project on a 6,300. There you go. Small, lightweight. They're amazing cameras and, and in the right hands they're you know, they're fully capable. So that's why I just, I haven't put a lot of, like I've, I haven't put a lot of money into lenses because it, it just like, I don't think I'd get a lot of return on it. Like sure. I, you know, I'm, I'm not like hurting for work or opportunities and you know, I don't need to drop $3,000 on uh, a uh, tilt shift lens to, to, to further my career. Right, if I, if I right. thought I did need to, I would do you it. would definitely do it. Yeah. Sure. But, but there's no, no, it's kind of like me. It's like why people always ask me, when are you going to go to red? <laughs> What's the point? It's right. not gonna. It's not gonna change anything from what I'm doing today. Accessory might make me work harder. Right. And, that's and, that's and a different ROI. Yeah. That's a totally like that ROI is not gonna be there. Like, it's just you're it's spend just fifty thousand dollars, and it's not gonna increase your your uh, your gigs. You know. No. So, never. Or and I don't know that it would increase your quality, but not necessarily. But that's sort of an isn't that an encouraging thing to anybody like in architectural or real estate photography, anybody in video production is that. It doesn't, you don't have to drop a lot of money to do this. You know, that's uh, to me, that's kind of the encouraging thing is like, you know, if you're listening to this and you think like, gosh, I have that same camera, you know, like, or whatever, you know, so it's, I think anybody can get into it, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny, funny and we'll kind of wrap it up with this, but I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine last week and he said to me, he said, Hey, you know, I know what your day rate is. Um, but if someone was to hire you to come shoot a project but they were to provide all the gear for you. Um, you know, what would your different day rate be? And I said, it'd be the same. And the guy says, well, why? And I said, well, first off, the gear I own has to be paid for whether I'm shooting with it or shooting with someone else's, A. And B, like what you're paying for isn't just my equipment, it's the experience and the time that I have spent into learning what I know how to do. And whether it's my wife with her A7R2 and a 50 millimeter 1.8, or whether it's me and an FX6 and a $3,000 prime lens, at the end of the day, it really comes down to taking the time and knowing what you're doing. And that's the most important thing. And that's why to me, that's, that's, that's where your value comes in more than anything mm -hmm. else. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I've had a lot of people, um, ask me like I'll be on a shoot and they're familiar with my work and they'll say how long have you been doing uh architectural photography and I'm like oh three years and like three years what what you know and I'm like but I've been behind a camera like 
most of my adult life and even as a teen and as a videographer, you know, started in 04. So I'm like, I've been behind a camera for a long time. Um, but again, it's so you're right. You're paying for experience, like the, uh, the ability to, you know, squeeze everything you can out of the equipment and out of the shoot, you know? And I think that that's, that's what, a, when a person's hiring somebody that's, you know, they think is expensive, they're, they're paying for that, the time that they have, you know, building that capability and building that wisdom, you know? So, um, it's not, you're not paying for the camera and, um, you're, you're not paying for the, even the post production, you know, like, I mean, I can hire out the post production, but it's, but if I didn't shoot it right, it ain't coming out right. You know? That's right. And so like yeah. you hire editors too, like a video editor, like it's still like it, that video editor can't turn it into something that you didn't shoot. I mean, it has to be done right. Yeah. You know, There's only start. so many ways you can polish a turd. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate you uh, coming on to the podcast. I won't uh, keep you longer and take any more of your time. Um, but I, uh, I think this has been a good conversation for people out there who haven't really maybe given much thought into what the difference between like regular residential photography is and some of the other types of photography that are out there that have to do with homes and houses and buildings. Um, where can people, where can people find your work? Really just my website, which is just my name, Jeremiah Derringer. Dot com. That's and it. can you can you spell that for us? Yeah, J <laughs> J E R E M I A H. The last name is Derringer. D E A R I N G E R. Dot com. Dot com. And there there I have other things that I actually do a little bit of. I do a little bit of product, automotive, um, like food and stuff like that. Um, but my main thing is architectural. So the portfolio you have to actually click you know portfolio and go to architectural to see that work. Um, but um, you know, that's kind of my mainstay is, is our, uh, the thing that people call me most for is architectural, but I do a little bit of like, I shoot automotive stuff. And, you know, of course, as you know, I do video, I shoot off-road events and things like that. So kind of do a little bit of everything. And some of that's on the website. So, well, you heard it guys go on there and check out his work and, uh, see kind of a little bit of what we were talking about today. And maybe it'll give you some different ideas on, on how to approach your photography. Thank you guys for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. As always, um, go to Filming with Josh on Facebook if you're on Facebook, unlike Jeremiah, and ask to join the Filming with Josh Facebook group and join our community where you can learn and have conversations all about video photography and the business that goes with it. See you guys next time. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.